Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Good morning. Man, when I was a kid, in elementary school especially, I was awesome at playground games. Do we have anybody who's like, playground games were my jam? Like, dude, Foursquare, Kickball, Dodgeball, if it was a game that you played on the playground, it was my jam. I loved playground games so much, that I'm just, just saying, I love them so much, that all through my life, my adult life, when I was a youth pastor, like, we played all of those games. I invented a game called Extreme Kickball. I patented it. It's mine. And our youth group played it when I was a youth pastor, and it was killer. I invented Extreme Foursquare. Like, I don't know if you've ever played that, but if you want to get down with Extreme Foursquare, I'll teach you. And then I will school you, okay? When it came to playground games, I was great. Now, like, traditional sports... You know, I was on the basketball team. I rode the bench. I did track. I was, you know, middle of the road. You know, any baseball, any of that stuff, you know, count me out. But when it came to playground games, I was the best. But the worst part about playground games, and many of you guys will know exactly what I'm talking about. The worst part about playground games was not playing, but it was when you picked teams. Anybody got that sick feeling in your stomach as soon as I start talking about picking teams? Because you remember what happened. Everybody would line up, and there would be two captains who were chosen, and then you'd line up against the wall. And the captains would start one kid at a time, and they'd examine everyone, and then they'd pick Charlie. Okay, well, not me, but that's okay. I'll probably go second round. And then they'd go, uh, Mike. Oh, okay, well, no big deal. I'm still here. And then they'd go, uh, Jeff. okay. I'm still in this. I, I'm, I'm in it. It's good. And then they would go, you know, Carl. Okay. And this is, this is the worst feeling. Just as a guy. I mean, I know this is going to sound terrible. I'm just going to say this. Then they'd go, Julie. And I'd be like, really? You picked a girl before me? <laughs> now, granted, Julie was awesome. Then they would go, just next person, next person, next person. And, then to, and some of you guys never experienced this. But if you were ever the last person chosen for a game, it was the worst feeling in the world. And it was especially bad because I was really good at playground games. I killed Adam. But my problem was not my skill in the game. My problem was that I was not super good buddies with everybody, that I wasn't necessarily in the group of the cool kids. And, and everybody knows that if you're in the group of the cool kids, either you're getting picked because the captain is a cool kid, or you're getting picked because the captain isn't a cool kid and the captain wants to be a cool kid, so they're going to pick the cool kids. Can I get an amen? Right? <laughs> yeah, I can tell who definitely has been affected and picked last because you definitely yelled it the loudest. Man. Getting picked for teams, just the lineup, you could feel it in your stomach, that horrible sick. Some of you guys, some of you guys are still in junior high and high school, and like you're living this out. Some of you guys lived this this week. They do it in PE. Man, getting picked for teams was the worst. And it was the worst because inevitably, if you were picked late in the game, it just, you couldn't help but feel excluded. Most of us know what that felt like as kids. But I will tell you that idea of exclusion, it didn't stop on the playground. Exclusion and inclusion, it, it, it follows us. It follows us from elementary school. It follows us until we're teenagers, and it follows us into adulthood. It, it hits us at work. You got, you know, you got those work clicks, right, at work. And these are the people who are always getting promoted. These are the people who are hanging out with the managers. They're going to lunch with the managers. They're going on smoke breaks or coffee breaks with the managers. And they're in that little circle, and, and you just know that the only way to get ahead is to bust into that work click, but you're not. You're sitting on the outside looking, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter how good you do at your job. If you're not part of the work click, you just can't get in. 
man, school. I mean, this is junior high, high school, elementary school, all the way through college. Remember that feeling of like walking into the cafeteria and you got your tray? And it's like, where am I going to sit? Oh, I mean, I heard some people moan. You're like, oh, God, no. Why are you talking about this, Chris? You're crying. Unzip me, Chris. It's coming out all over again. Because you remember what it's like to walk into the cafeteria and just be like, I don't know who to sit with. And everybody seems like they're laughing and having a good time. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like everybody's body is just kind of turned away from you. So their shoulders in, so you just don't even have an in at all. It's just the worst feeling of being excluded, like you just don't fit in, like you just don't have a place. Happens at church. Man, you ever walk through the doors of a church you've never been in before? Man, you might be here, it might be your first time. (laughs) You walk through the doors of Compass today, and you got that weird feeling like, I don't know anybody, who am I going to talk to, where am I going to sit, am I dressed right, do I look okay, am I going to screw things up, am I going to, you know, and you're just like, oh, that feeling. And then, like, one of the worst is if you're new to a church, you're not connecting a church, going in the lobby after service. And everybody's kind of in their groups, and you're like, yeah, I would love to get and hang out and talk with a group. But somehow, like in the lobby at church, like the groups all tend to be kind of in circles somehow. Like, I don't know how that happens. And it's like no one's, the circles are never facing out. They're not like, hey, how are you guys doing? Like talking in, like it's always like this. <laughs> and it's like the only way to get in would be like tap someone on the shoulder, maybe pinch them on the butt. But I don't know if you're like, that might get me in, but I don't know if it get me in the right way. And the circles can feel really closed sometimes. And you leave church, and you, maybe God spoke to you, and you're, but you're just looking for a connection. You just bounce from the backside of one circle to the next until you just bounce out through the door. Exclusion, it follows us into adulthood. And if you know the feeling when you were a kid of not getting chosen for the team, then you definitely know that feeling as an adult because all of us have walked it. All of us have experienced it in some way. Robin Williams, he he put it this way, and he said this, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone, and it's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel all alone. The worst thing in life is not necessarily to be sitting in your bedroom all by yourself, although that may not be great. The worst thing in life is to be sitting in a crowded room full of people who are laughing and eating and having a good time and making jokes and you're by yourself and you just feel more alone than you ever possibly could. That's the worst, the feeling of being left out, the feeling of being excluded. And here's the thing, Jesus was totally different. Like Jesus He somehow never seemed to do that with people. With Jesus, people always seemed to feel included. It always seemed like there was this open door to him. In fact, let me think about this. When Jesus started his ministry, okay, Jesus was just getting started. He picked a team. He picked a team of people, his disciples, the people who were going to be with him. The people who were going to travel with him, who were going to represent him, the people who were going to play the game with him, right? His dodgeball team is who Jesus picked. Let's take a look at the people Jesus picked for a second, okay? So he picked like, uh, you know, James, John, Peter, and Andrew. These guys were fishermen. Now Jesus was picking a team to to start a ministry, a, a spiritual movement in the world, and these aren't religious guys. I mean, Jesus could have gone and he could have picked like religious leaders and, and, and guys who are educated in the religious systems, guys who had degrees in Judaism and in the scriptures. But first he chose fishermen. 
And like, okay, so like I grew, I grew up at Tri-Valley, like a little school. My graduating class was like 50 people. And, and so we definitely had like your, your kids who were really good at sports and on the sports teams. And there, there was always like one or two like farmer kids, right? And so like your, your sports kids, they always had like tennis shoes and shorts. They're always dressed for it. And then there was one or two farmer kids and they had like cowboy boots and like super like tight, you know, Levi jeans. Or Levi, what's Lee jeans? Definitely not Levi's. They were Lee's or Wranglers. Oh, because girls go nuts for Wrangler butts. Thank you. That was, yeah, you just, you just brought that to mind. And like, so the farmer kids, they would have cowboy boots and like these, these super tight Wrangler jeans and like a flannel shirt. And they would be playing dodgeball in that outfit, right? <laughs> they never had tennis shoes. They always wore their cowboy boots and they would kill. They were incredible. And you're like, where did this kid come from? But that kid never got picked. It was always the kids on the sports team with the right shoes who got picked. You know, you never picked the kid with the boots because the kid with the boots wasn't ever on any teams because the kid with the boots was working. He was up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he was shoveling manure and throwing hay bales, and, and he, he worked. He couldn't be on sports teams. So you didn't think about as, him as someone who could really be good on your team. That's like the fishermen, right? They were just the farmer's kids. So they always got picked last because they were farmer's kids. And then Jesus picked Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Man, Jews hated tax collectors because tax collectors were working for the Roman government. And the Roman government was occupying Israel at the time. Like the Roman government took their nation over. And then tax collectors were basically Jewish people who were collecting money from their fellow Jews and then kicking it up to Rome. And not only that, but they were, you know, they were asking for more money and they could line their pockets with it. So I mean, the tax collectors, they were like the suck-ups at school, man. They were the people who sucked up the teachers and said, oh, Mrs. Wilson, you look so nice today. Would you like an apple? And you know, oh, geez, geez, Matthew, you suck up. Oh, you make me sick. But he was even worse than that because Matthew was the type of, type of suck-up. Like, oh, Mrs. Wilson, you're just, oh, you look lovely. I love your bun. It looks lovely. And then he would turn around and he'd say, give me your lunch money or I'll tell Mrs. Wilson that you're being bad. You know, that was him. That was, that was Matthew. He'd say, extort money. And yet Jesus chose this kid. Jesus chose the suck up for his team, the person who everybody hated. I mean, Jesus, then Jesus, think about this. Then Jesus chose Judas for his team. Judas was a thief. He's an embezzler. He stole money from Jesus' ministry. From the, the ministry bank account, he chose Judas, a thief, and he said, I want you on my team. And what's crazy is every time he did this, Jesus is looking out at all the people who could be on his dodgeball team, and they're lined up against the wall, and he'd go, okay, you know all the scriptures, you're an, an expert on religious law, you understand spiritual things, and you pray uh, dedicated every morning, you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Uh, Matthew, tax collector, come on over my team. And be like, what? And then he's like, okay, i got to pick again. He's like, okay, now you are a rabbi just like me. Maybe you don't, aren't as an expert rabbi as I'm going to be, but you, you, literally I could send you out and you could do all the same things that I'm going to do because you know all those things and you're an expert in these things just like I am. And he's like, I'm going to pass on you and I'm going to choose Judas, uh, the thief, and embezzler. I'm going to pick him on my team. Jesus picked the people who should have been picked last every time. It's crazy. His disciples, the 12 guys, oh, dude, this, this one's awesome. Jesus picked another guy named Simon. Simon was a zealot, okay? That means this. Like, you know, Matthew was like the suck-up for the teachers and suck-up to the Roman government. Simon the zealot, zealots were people who hated the Roman government. Zealots were people who did anything they could to overthrow the Roman government. Zealots were political anarchists. So Simon was like literally a goth kid, right? It was like, everything's stupid. This is stupid. I hate school. What's the point even of this? I wish the school would catch fire and burn and die, and then I could just sit in my room and listen to the cure all day. <laughs> 
so Jesus chose a goth for his dodgeball team. He picked him. He said, I want you. That's the team Jesus picked. Okay, so that's his 12 disciples. And you think, okay, well, Jesus was a little unorthodox. He thought outside the box. What's crazy about Jesus? Jesus didn't stop there, right? He picked his disciples. And then he just kept picking people who should have been picked last every time. This is what the Gospels tell us about Jesus. and what he, It says that Jesus chose children. Right, you heard the story where you know the disciples are trying to keep kids away from Jesus because they're annoying and they're loud and they got boogers and it's like Jesus is doing important work. Keep those kids away from him. that kid. Smells like he pooped his pants. Gross. And they're like, keep those kids away. And Jesus was like, "Let those kids come over to me. What are you doing? Let the kids come." Jesus chose children who are gross, and Jesus said, "I want them on my team. Bring them to me." Jesus chose people who were super like sinful and like in the culture of the day people who are outcast because of their sin and like in, in the New Testament if you're ever reading the Gospels and you say you see the word sinful woman that's a super sanitized like sinful woman is sanitized for like prostitute or homewrecker you know <laughs> that's, that's what sinful woman means when you see it in, in the New Testament and, and Jesus he called sinful women onto his team there's one, one woman prostitute he called and, and he invited her to be on his team and she like the story goes that she washed his feet with her, with her tears and her hair because she was so moved by what Jesus did. And you know what all the people who were around Jesus did? Like, dude, what are you doing? That's a sinful woman. She's putting her hair on your feet. What are people going to think if they see you hanging out with a sinful woman? Jesus picked her. He said, I want her on my team. I want to hang out with her. I want her to be with me. I mean, we, we already talked about tax collectors. We talked about Matthew. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. He went into their house and had dinner with them. He partied with those people. They said, in fact, there's a story uh, where Jesus intersected the life of a guy named Zacchaeus, a little short guy. He was a tax collector. And Jesus didn't even wait for the invitation, right? He, he meets Zacchaeus, and he's like, hey, invite me over to your house. <laughs> who does that? And not, who does that? Who does that with people who everyone else says, you should never pick that person for your team. Why would you ever associate with that person? Jesus did. Jesus picked Zacchaeus. Jesus chose tax collectors. Jesus told the worst. Jesus picked a woman who was, she was called another, a quote unquote. I love this when it talks about women sometimes who had really bad stuff going on. They, they were, it's like the, the gospel writers tried to be polite and the culture tried to be polite. She was an unclean woman. It said that she had an issue of blood or she had, uh, you know, she was hemorrhaging or bleeding. And basically, like back then, if you, if you bl bled, blood was really unclean. And it would make you ceremonially and relig religiously unclean to God. And this woman had been hemorrhaging blood for over a decade. For years, most of her life. So this woman, she was constantly and consistently unclean. People would not go around her. People wouldn't go near her because if they did, if they touched her, they would be unclean and they would have to go through all these ceremonial rituals to become clean. This woman was a total outcast. You know what Jesus did? She said, hey, I want you on my team. Come on, I don't care about that. In fact, Jesus healed her. He says, I want you on my team. There was a guy, he was, uh, New Testament gospels say he was demon possessed. He was crazy. The dude was living in a, a cemetery, right? He lived in a cemetery, and he, he was naked. He was naked all the time, just running around naked, screaming, cutting himself, blah, you know, just all that. The people in the town, like, he was just so crazy that they tried to chain him up to just somehow contain him. But he just would get out of the chains because he was just crazy, mentally ill, nuts. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm not scared of your mental illness. 
I'm not scared of what's going on in your life. I'm not scared of the fact that everyone else looks at you and sees someone who they think is crazy and you shouldn't go anywhere near that person because I'm telling you, dude, he's running around naked, he's screaming, he's cutting himself, he's doing all this stuff. You get involved in that person's life, he will drag you down. And Jesus said, all right, I want him on my team. That's who Jesus picked. Jesus over and over again said, you should be the last pick for team, so you're on mine. You should be the last person picked for team, so you're on mine. This person should probably be the last person picked for team, so I want you on my team. Jesus was just different. Jesus had a way of including the excluded. He had a way of, of, of seeing people who were on the margins or people who felt like they were on the margins and bringing them in and inviting them in. Jesus lived a different life. And I guess today I want to ask the question, is what would it look like if we thought about people differently, what would, what would our lives look like? What would our church, what would our community look like, our world, if we thought about people the way Jesus thought about people instead of thinking about people the way that our culture and that our world thinks about them? And I kind of want to touch on that a little bit because Jesus kept look, picking last choice people. And what would it look like if we did the exact same thing? And if we did, how do we do that? And I think that for us, if we're going to begin thinking like Jesus, if we're going to begin thinking differently so that we can live differently, so that we can make a difference, I think that there's two shifts that we need to be able to make in order to look at people, think about people, and act towards people in the way that Jesus did in order to be different. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, see in verse 35, it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. So Jesus was, he was doing what Jesus does. Taking his ministry around, he was teaching people about this new relationship with God that was available through him, and he was healing people. It was just, just Jesus doing Jesus stuff. Crowds of people come in, and, and a lot of them were just coming to see the miracles, see this cool stuff, hear the funny stories Jesus was telling, maybe they wanted to be healed. But I think in the next verse, we see something. We see something that shows us what motivated Jesus. This, we're going to see something that drove Jesus to do the things that he did. And in verse 36, it says this. In the middle of his ministry, when he looked out and he saw the crowds, when he saw all the people that were around him, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were confused and helpless. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus looked out at people, and he had compassion. Jesus' default setting was not a judgment on that person's value to his life and to his team. When Jesus looked at people, he thought about them first, and he looked at them with, with compassion. He looked at them with caring because he could see beyond the surface, right? Because a lot of us are really good at looking really great on the outside, but Jesus could see beyond the surface, and he understood that deep down, for most of us, we're just con confused. And, and a lot of times we're helpless. And a lot of times we're standing on the outside, feeling excluded, feeling like we're left all alone. And Jesus, his default, was, was this mental shift. And if we're going to start to begin thinking like Jesus, we need to make a mental shift too. And that first shift is this, is we need to shift to compassion. We need to shift to thinking about people through the eyes of compassion, what could that person's life be like? What could that person be going through? What could that person be facing? What could that person be feeling right now? And how could I make that person's life better with my involvement in their lives? Think, think compassion. Think empathy because that's how Jesus thought about people. That's how he approached them. 
Think about this. If you are here at Compass and you are connected and you are plugged in, like you are a Compass person, you're here because at some point, one person included you. One person was nice to you in the lobby. One person gave you a high five in the service at the very beginning and made you feel welcomed. If you're here, you're plugged in, you're involved, it's because it started with one person who when they looked at you, they saw you and they didn't see themselves. Someone had compassion, someone had empathy, someone thought about you differently. And that's Jesus' first solution to the problem is he looked at people with compassion. But that's hard for us because we all want to be compassionate. I mean, nobody here would say I want to live a life without compassion. But our default setting, I mean, just be honest. Our default setting is to get with our peeps and then call it good, right? And it's just thing, like if we were on the outside, like we'd know that feeling of not being picked for the team. But somehow, when we get picked for the team, because that's really all we want, it's so, we just so quick to just turn in and be like, oh, I made it. I'm in. I'm with my folks. I'm with my peeps. It's all good. And we just, we kind of forget what it felt like to sit on the outside. We forget what it felt like to eat lunch by ourselves. We forget what it felt like to be standing in a room full of people and not have anyone talking to us. We hate the feeling of being on the outside looking in, but somehow, once we get on the inside, we completely forget all about the fact that there might be other people who are feeling the exact same way. And if we're going to begin thinking differently about people the way Jesus did, it has to start with the shift of, of shifting to compassion. Then Jesus, he didn't just make the shift. Jesus actually found a solution to the problem, right? He didn't just have compassion. He had a solution. The story continues. He sees the people. He's moved by them. And so he turns to his disciples and he says to them, look at this. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Here we see Jesus' solution to the problem that he perceived. People who are confused and lost and helpless and alone. That's the problem. What's Jesus' solution? Uh, this is crazy to me, right? Because Jesus' solution, he didn't say, call his disciples. Hey guys, look at all these people. They're just so alone and, and lost. We need to just pray for them. God, I just pray that you would help them to feel better. Just help them to feel good about them. God, help them to just raise their self-esteem. God, I pray that you would help them to not feel so depressed and anxious in this situation, but God, that, that Lord, in this time where they're feeling alone and excluded, that you would help them to just feel peace. Oh, God, let your just spirit move on them. And God, I just pray from head to toe that they would just tingle with the presence of your Holy Spirit, and they would just get goosebumps so they would know that you are real. And Jesus said, God, I just pray that they would have a, 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 a moment with you that would transform and change their life. And then that when, when their life intersects yours right now, that they'd be changed forever. And you know what's awesome? All those things are great. But what is the first thing Jesus says when he thinks about the problem of people who are lost and confused and, and helpless and hopeless and all alone on their own? It's this. Guys, we need to ask God to send more people to go hang out with them. We need to ask God to send workers. God's spirit can transform and change life. God's spirit can bring, pre bring peace and fulfillment and all of that. But you know what Jesus thought was the most important thing? Let's, get, let's throw some people at that problem. Let's get some people in a group to invite those people into their group. Let's get some people to include them into their lives. People. Jesus' solution was people. You know what that means? Jesus' solution was you. And it was you. Jesus' solution to the problem of exclusion 
is not, oh God, just pour your spirit out and touch their feelings, God. It's none of that. It was this, man, I should probably send one of my kids over there to say hi to them and ask them if they want to eat lunch with us. And that's simple. I mean, like, we, we over-spiritualize things sometimes so much. Oh, God, send your fire to fall and burn them and send your flood to drown them in your presence, God. And all whatever else all these, like, big spiritual words and themes are. Lord, your spiritual hurricanes and earthquakes. Oh, God. And, like, you know, when instead it could be like, God, give me courage to go talk to that person. Okay, let's go do it. <laughs> Which leads to the second shift. We need to shift to compassion if we're going to think differently about people. And the second shift is this. We need to shift to action. You see, compassion, sympathy, empathy, all in and of themselves, that's a crucial and important starting point. But if we stop right there, all they serve to do is make us feel good about the fact that we're so compassionate. Oh, God, my heart just breaks for all those hungry kids in Africa. Oh, Lord. Okay, where are we going to lunch today? Because I'm hungry. <laughs> we got to shift to action. We have to be able to keep our eyes open to see the needs of people who are around us in our workplace, at our schools, in our church lobbies. And then we need to shift to action and say, you know what, group? I love this huddle. I love this circle. You guys are all my close friends. You're my small group. We hang out together. We go to eat together all the time. But I'm going to break from you for 10 minutes because there's someone over there who I don't know and they kind of look like they're by themselves. And Jesus is going, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's my plan, a shift to action, a shift to compassion and changing how we think about people and then a shift to action. And this is what's awesome about Jesus. Like Jesus knew that this was so simple, but because it's not so super spiritual, he had to like make it into a practical action plan for us. And he did that. So, so he actually boiled it down in another statement in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Okay, this is it. You ready for this? This is how to do it. This is a practical action step. It says this, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Well, that's easy. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Would I like someone to talk to me if I'm feeling lonely? Yeah? Okay. I'm going to go do that to this person. Would I like someone to invite me to lunch or to invite me to their small group? If I feel like I'm at this church and I don't feel like I'm super connected, but I want to be and I'm just not sure what to say, and, and I feel uncomfortable, so I'm just going to stand by the bathrooms or by the drinking fountain because at least I can take a drink and look like I'm here for a reason. Yeah, I would. So I'm going to go to the drinking fountain. I'm going to post up by the bathroom doors, and I'm by the drinking fountain. And every person who walks by to go to the bathroom, I'm like, hey, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. And it might be weird. But like maybe one out of four people might be like, oh, I'm so glad that person was standing by the bathroom. Stand by, you know, the appropriate bathroom door. Dudes, I mean, maybe you shouldn't be standing outside the girls' bathroom. That's a little weird. But it's a shift to action. Do to others what you want them to do to, to you. And then Jesus, he does make it spiritual. He says this, that the essence of all of the law and the prophets, the essence of all of the Old Testament scriptures that came before Jesus, boil all that down. The essence of all of this stuff is wrapped up if you just do this. Meaning this, if you do to others what you want them to do to you, the 99% of all the spiritual requirements and all the things that you need to knock out to be good with God will be taken care of. Isn't that easy? Just treat that person the way you don't want to be treated. Yeah, but Chris, I mean, you know, come on. They're difficult. They're, you know, they're, they're one of those people, a little extra grace is required for that person, and I'm a little busy. Yeah. Well, but Chris, you know, that person, you know, they're not really in my circle. Um, okay, so I'll just tell you just a super quick story. Terry and I went to a, a conference, a, a church planters conference a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, it's part of an organization called ARC, and we're part of it, and we support it financially because they plan a lot of churches. The first time we went to an ARC thing, like, okay, Terry and I walked in. I'm 42, and, you know, it was a couple years ago, so maybe I was just 40, but I'm still like, once you hit that mark, you're kind of feeling your age, and, you know, I was a youth pastor, so I hung out with teenagers, and that was kind of cool because I'm the adult, but I'm a cool adult, and they're like teenagers, but then they grow up, and they become young adults, and you grow up, and you become an old adult, <laughs> and then like that kind of like thing doesn't quite continue anymore, and you're not, a, you're not a cool dude anymore, like you're not in a circle. I've actually reached a point right now where like if you're here, man, if you start coming to Compass, and you're in like your 20s or early 30s, and you're like a young family, I'm just going to tell you what my, my mind, I've realized that I'm at a point right now where if you're like, if you're like 23, and you're like newly married, that I'm probably not the person who's going to walk up to you and say, hey, you want to come over and grab lunch with us? Because you're going to be thinking, oh man, I would but you're old, so we're not, I mean, what are we going to talk about, AARP? I don't, you know, <laughs> so like, I wish I was still that guy, it's like, yeah, I'm cool, I'm young and hip, let's hang out with the 20-somethings, and they're like, dude, stop, you can't keep up, your back hurts, okay, but all that being said, we go to this conference, and we walk in, and like, guys, I mean, I'll be honest, like, I've always been a jean jacket guy, and so you look at me today, and you're like, oh, well, that jean jacket, Mickey Mouse, you know, whatever, but like, we walk into this conference, and I kid you not, there was not a pair of legs that did not have skinny jeans on in that place. And I'm talking skinny jeans where like the calf muscles, you could see the calf muscles just throbbing to escape. You know what I mean? Like when the Hulk becomes the Hulk and his clothes threaten to rip. And like there, I mean, there was not a dude without just like the, the quaff like millennial hairdo. I mean, everyone who was there was a million times cooler than us. And I felt like an old idiot. I felt so out of place. I felt so uncomfortable. So, I mean, I just, and it was a church thing. It was a pastor's thing. I'm a pastor. I go to a church, you know? I started a church. You think, man, that's your circle. And I, we felt so uncomfortable. But you know what happened? Some of these young, cool people in their, like, camouflage skinny jeans that were rolled up to here, you know, in their, like, Tom's shoes. I mean, they walked up, and they just started talking to us and being friendly to us, and they included us. And I was like, oh, my gosh, are you just being nice because you're, like, you think I'm lost? Do you need help finding your car, sir? But no, they, they included us. They wanted us to be a part. They could tell we felt uncomfortable because we were from a different background or we had different style or a different approach. And they said, I want you to feel included because that's what Jesus did. Jesus looked at all the people who should never be picked on your team and he said, I want you in. I want you in. I want you to be a part. I'm going to close with just a, just a quick story here. Let me tell you about my daughter. Okay, I'm going to brag on my daughter Cameron for a second. She doesn't know I'm telling this. Usually I ask my kids permission, but I forgot to this time, but I think she'll be okay with it. So when my daughter Cameron started her freshman year at high school, she came from a junior high where most of the other students ended up at a different high school. So when she got to Normal Community West, the other high school here in town, she really didn't know many of the people at the school. There were a handful, but it was like, it was such a huge jump. And any of the kids she knew were just all separated and scattered. And there's so many different lunch periods. She didn't know anybody at her lunch period. She knew very few people in her class. And, and in her freshman year, I remember she would come home and she'd just be upset. because She's like, I just don't know anybody. And I just feel kind of lonely. And she'd talk about lunch. And she would go into lunch. And the first couple days, she sat all by herself at the table and just ate alone. And then eventually she would just kind of, instead of sitting in the cafeteria, she would go sit in the lobby of the school and, and she would get her phone or a book out because her logic was, if I sit in the lobby with a book, it looks like I'm doing it on purpose 
instead of sitting in the cafeteria all by myself reading a book and just feeling lonely. So at least it'll look like it's intentional, right? At least it'll look like I'm not just lonely. It'll look like I'm actually pushing everyone away because I have so much important stuff to do. And so we talked to her and, and I just challenged her. I said, you can't do this. If you just be the person to someone else that you want someone to be for you. Look for someone else who's sitting all by themselves. Look for someone who just feel, looks like they have putting off that same vibe that they're all alone and nobody's sitting with them. Be for that person what you want someone to be for you. And you know what? She, she totally did that. And she embraced that. So she'd see kids sitting by themselves. Not even in the cafeteria, sorry, in the lobby. She'd go talk to them and say, hey, how you doing? Talk, you want to sit with me? Or in the cafeteria, hey, you want to come sit with me? And then, I mean, eventually she started to, to grow a group of friends. And I love my daughter's friends. They're awesome. And I, shout out to my daughter's friends. They're great. Um, but here's what's so cool. My daughter's a junior now. And she told us that at the beginning of this year, she's just talking about, like, how's lunch? How's that going? She's like, lunch is good. She's like, you know, anytime I see someone by themselves, I always invite them to sit with us. So, like, that's just, she kind of just throws her group under the bus when she's like, hey, you know, weird person, come sit with us. But it's just, it's who she is now. It's kind of just become her culture that when she sees someone alone, she says, that's not okay. You need, I'm going to invite you to come sit with us. And, and I'll just tell her a little bit. She, she's honest. Like, she's like, there's some people who she's invited to come sit with them. And she's like, Dad, so they had to leave lunch early because their class schedule is a little different than ours. So they only sat with us for 15 minutes, and that was kind of a good thing. So it's like, she's kind of glad maybe when some of those people need to leave a little bit early because maybe they're like living in the cemetery naked and screaming, right? <laughs> but the fact is, is that those considerations don't matter to her at the beginning because at the beginning, for her, she's like, it's not okay for anyone to sit alone. And it started with a mental shift. It started with a shift that says, I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to be picked last. I know what it's like to be excluded. I don't want anybody to feel that way. And she shifted to compassion and said, I'm going to have compassion on people who were like me, who might be living the same thing. Even though she has a killer group of friends now, she's still looking outside and says, I'm going to shift to compassion. And then she shifts to action, where she goes and she says, hey, do you want to sit with us? And her friends might be rolling their eyes going, oh, come on, really? I just want to talk about homecoming. A shift to compassion and a shift to action. And I'll say, if we get this in our hearts, it could change the world. If we put this in our hearts, it'll change our community. And I'll say, here, this, if, lock this phrase in your mind, right? And in fact, I will say, say this after me. No one sits alone. Come on, say it again. No one sits alone. No one sits alone. Man, if we can live in such a way that when we see someone sitting alone at work, at school, at lunch, at church, if we just go, okay, wait a minute, no one sits alone here. No one sits alone at Compass. I need to, I need to talk to that person. Even better, I need to find someone else. And we're going to tag team. We're going to, you know, get on this person. We're going to like, we're going to team up. We're going to like talk them into submission. <laughs> because no one sits alone at Compass. No one sits alone when I'm around at work. No one sits alone when I walk into the cafeteria of my school. And I know that that means we got to push through our own insecurities, right? we got to push through our own fact that we feel insecure, that we feel excluded sometimes. So, but if you can stop fighting for yourself and you can fight for someone else, you can be like Jesus and you can make a difference in this world because you're thinking differently and then your life will become different and then you become a person who makes a difference. And when you're a person who makes a difference, the feelings of exclusion that you might have felt, shoot, those things are in the rear view mirror because now you're different because Jesus made a difference in your life and now he's using you to make a difference in someone else's because no one sits alone. No one sits alone. 
Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Jesus, I thank you more than anything else that you are such a perfect example of inclusion. That Jesus, you went out of your way to include onto your team the oddballs, the weirdos, the outcasts, the people who were difficult, the people who were uncomfortable, the people who were criminal, the people who would betray you in the future. And even though you knew that, you still included them, Jesus. And I pray for us that we would just have a portion of that compassion that you had for other people that you would help us to shift to empathy, shift to compassion, and that, Lord, after that, you would help us to shift to action. God, to, to see those moments where we need to peel back from our tightly closed circles for just a moment to make space for someone else to come in to be a part of it. And, Lord, I, Lord I, like a lot of other people in this room, I have to confess, Lord, I have not been perfect in this. There have been times in my life where I've been busy or I've been distracted or it's just easier to keep my head down. And I ask God, with every other person who, who's like me, that you would open our eyes to see that the harvest field is ripe and that it is ready and it is full of people who you love and that you've chosen to show them how loved they are not through the tingles, not through the goosebumps, but you've, chose to show, you've chosen to show them how loved they are by using me and using every other person in this room that we are your plan to show a world how much you love them. And that God, when you open your arms and invite someone in, you always do that by opening our arms to invite someone in. So I ask God that you would help us, that you would change us. God, that you allow us to be difference makers in our world to reflect the love of Jesus in everything we say and in everything we do because God, we know in your heart that no one sits alone. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we pray all of this in your awesome name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.